Well, we're in a new series called Broken Beginnings, and we know that's a lot of how our, our new year feels like it begins, because we've got a lot of the brokenness that we're carrying over from last year into this year, and we're looking at our new year, and we're like, okay, how am I going to make this work? How are we going to piece everything together? A lot of high hopes, a lot of great resolutions, but in reality, if we're honest, there's probably a lot of brokenness that we're, we're hoping and praying gets mended as we walk through this new year. Reminded of uh, when I was growing up, I played baseball, and no, I did not play the travel baseball that the good kids played in. I was in the, my kid needs something to do, so sign him up for baseball. That was the baseball league I played in, and so I was probably six or seven or thereabouts when I was playing, and uh, there, there's two types of moms, and there's the athletic moms that are, you know, athletic and sportsy and very competitive and coordinated, and you just have good moms, and my mom's just a good mom and not athletic whatsoever, but she knew that I was going to be playing baseball, so she said, hey, let's go out in the backyard and let's practice. I said, oh, that's great. So we go out, so we start throwing. I mean, again, six or seven years, I've never played baseball before, so we start throwing back and forth, not bad. And she's like, okay, let me make you reach for it. I said, oh, that's great. So started reaching for it. She started giving me some grounders, and then she said, all right, now let's, let's speed it up a little bit. I said, okay, and I didn't even get in my stance, and this ball comes flying at my face pops me right in the nose. I mean, right smack in the middle of the face. So here's this six, seven-year-old getting ready to start baseball, just got beamed in the face with a baseball by his mom. Now I'm crying. I've got blood and tears. She feels terrible because, well, I was supposed to be helping him, and that obviously didn't help. But she does the mom thing of, okay, you can do it. Let's get back. Let's try it again. So I very, this is where my timidity comes out in me. So I get back ready, and I'm like, okay, mom, I'm ready. She started to say, no, Brian, you got to put your glove down. I said, not a chance, mother. Right here. Now, why is that? Is it because I didn't love my mom? No. Is it because I don't trust my mom? There might have been a little bit of that. But that's where we get that phrase, flinching from. We flinch. And so it took quite a while. And even now, if when we got back from visiting our family and my boys were playing, I said, don't let her throw anything in your direction. I remember what it was like. So, I mean, for about a year or two, probably, I would catch the ball like this. It took a lot of time and healing and counseling to be able to catch the ball like a normal person. Again, it's because of that, like we said, it's that phrase flinching, that word flinching. We flinch because we have a very good memory. We flinch because we remember something that happened that hurt us, that we react to, that we don't want to have happen again. And so we flinch. And so often we walk through life with that constantly in our minds. We're constantly flinching because of what had happened. We're constantly held back by our past. Now, we will typically hold on to our past for one of two reasons, and sometimes both. The first one is pride. We hold on to our past. We're held back. We're, we're almost held captive by our past because of pride. Now, all the husbands, you're about to get one of these by your spouse sitting next to you because this is the glory days. It's, well, way back when, and we tell the same stories, and we never can get past the good old days, the glory days. Things never match up to those days. So we live in the past because we continue to relive the past, and nothing will ever match up to that, we think. Sometimes we're held back by our pride in our past. Other times we're held back in, in our past, and it's paralyzing by paralysis. Something has happened to us. We saw something happen. We were in an environment that our memory remembers and so we flinch and we literally we want to move forward but we truly cannot we're paralyzed because of our past so the question we ask is well how do I get past it 
How do I move past my past? It's a new year, it's 2018, I've got resolutions, I know what I wanna do, I know what I want change, I know who I wanna be and I want, what I wanna become by the end of the year, but I just can't seem to do it because of the past. So let's ask that question this morning. Before we jump into anything else, how do we move past our past? Regardless of your resolutions, regardless of what that brokenness might be, how do we move past our past? If you've got your Bible, head over to Philippians. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. Philippians chapter three, Paul gives us great wisdom on moving past our past and, and how to handle our past. And as he's going through, there's gonna be a phrase that you're gonna see that we're gonna keep coming back to several times. Philippians chapter three, but before we get to that one phrase, I want you to see how he sets everything up. He begins and he actually tells a little bit of his story. Here's what he says, Philippians chapter three, starting in verse five. You don't have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen behind me here. Here's what he says. It says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So time out there. Understand what Paul is saying. He's giving his history. He's telling his past. Here's who I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews, and he was so into his religion as a Jew that he persecuted the church, that he followed the religion to the letter. He did everything he possibly could right. He followed everything. Now, that was his past. He brought up his past. Here's who he was. Here's what I did. And then if you know any of the story of Paul, he had a very real encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he sees Jesus, and literally his life took a 180 turn. So now he's following Jesus, he's planting churches, he's writing, as we have now most of the New Testament, and that's what he does. The next several verses here, if you to read through, verse 7 all the way down through 11, he's basically saying, and here's who Jesus is, and here's what Jesus has done for me, and the hope that we have in Jesus. He does that, but I want you to see what he does next, because we see these in sections. He tells of his past, then he tells about Jesus. Now look at what he does next, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I know that's wordy. We're gonna come back to it. Verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this, and what's it say here? What's these two words? This thing. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now go back to verse 12. What's he really saying here? He's saying, now I've not achieved all of these things. And the these things, go back and read verses 7 all the way through 11. And it's all of this perfection that we have in Christ. He says, I've not achieved that. I'm not perfect. He says, but I'm going after the one who is. Remember, he says, it's not that I've already possessed it. I've not reached perfection, he said, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus already got in me. He's saying, it's not my perfection. It's the Jesus. He's already done this for me. I'm just trying to follow him, and I'm not doing it very well. He admits, I'm not perfect. I have not achieved this already. That verse 12, we might call this like the Christian effort. This is the good works or, or the, the faith with works that James talks about. This is the, I believe in Jesus, I have him in my heart, so now I'm gonna to try to live like him. I'm gonna to try to follow him. I'm gonna to try to do what he would ask me to do, the Christian effort. And Paul is very clear. I'm doing that, but I'm not doing it well. 
I have not obtained it. I have not achieved it. I am not perfect. I haven't got it all figured out. This is why we say around here a lot that we stumble in the right direction. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, I'm aiming over there, and I'm going to try to get there, and I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm at least aimed in the right direction. We stumble along the way. We stumble in the right direction. The idea that Paul has everything figured out is obviously false. He says, no, that's where we're heading. I've got my eyes set on the right thing, Jesus, but I don't have this all figured out. He stumbles in the right direction. That's what we say here a lot, stumble in the right direction. And then look at verse 13. Again, he reiterates, no, I've not achieved it. I don't have this figured out, but I focus on, and what was those words? This what? One thing. He says, but I'm going to focus on this one thing. And the one thing that he says is forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So he tells the early church of Philippi, I don't have this figured out. I've not achieved perfection. I don't have it all together. But there's one thing I know. There's one thing that I'm focused on, forgetting the past and focusing or looking to what lies ahead. Now, it seems like Paul might be contradicting himself here because right here he's saying, I'm forgetting the past. Yet, what did he do just a few verses later? He laid out his past. <laughs> so how do you lay out your past and say, I was a Jew of all Jews, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I persecuted the church, all of this. And by the way, I'm forgetting my past. It doesn't seem like those go together. Understand, the word that Paul is using here, forgetting, is not literally a, I don't know, right? It's not a total forget. It's a, I see it, I'm just neglecting it. I'm seeing it, I'm aware of it, I'm just not paying any attention to it. See, the word there, forget, is more implied as neglecting. He's neglecting the past. Neglecting doesn't mean we're not aware of it. It just means we don't pay attention to it. Be like me saying, I forgot to do the dishes. I did not forget to do the dishes. I'm very aware of the dishes. I saw them every time I passed by them. I chose not to pay attention to them. I chose to pay attention to something else. That's what neglect is. Neglect says, I'm aware of it, but I'm going to pay more attention to something else. So therefore, I'm going to pay less attention to this, more attention to that. That's how neglect works. So he says, neglecting my past. Now, that's something that we can do. It, it wouldn't be right for us to, to say forget the past, truly forget the past. No, God uses our past. We're going to see that a little bit. He uses our past to, to teach us, to mold us, to develop us, to grow us, to help us to become who we are today. He uses our past, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily needing to be held nor needing to hold on to our past. No, we have to neglect our past. It's not forget. It's neglect, like Paul is mentioning here. Saying neglect your past, meaning neglect it, don't pay as much attention to it. We neglect the past by having something else that we pay more attention to, obviously. So we neglect the past, and what does Paul say? He says, I'm forgetting the past, neglecting the past, and what is he doing? What's the other thing? And what? Yes, and looking forward. The and is important. Go back and look. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past or neglecting the past and not kind of, not maybe, not I'm thinking about it. It's, it's an and. They go together. You have to have both. I'm forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You have to have both. If you're going to pay less attention to one thing, you have to have something you're going to pay more attention to. You can't just neglect it. We, that's where we get stuck, quite honestly. Well, I want to neglect the past. I want to be able to move on. But we don't give ourselves something to refocus. We don't give ourselves to redirect towards at all. And that's, again, that's where we find ourselves often, and that's where we tend to get stuck. 
is we say, okay, I'm trying to move past my past. But we don't give ourselves anything else to move towards, ever. It'd be like if I were to tell you, hey, everybody, don't think of a crimson elephant. Yeah, some of you chuckled at that. What's your, what are you all thinking about? A crimson elephant, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> There's somebody that got it. So you have to have something to think of instead. You have to think of something else. And so what Paul says here is neglect the past, but here, do this instead. Look towards what's ahead. Neglect our past by looking forward to the future, by paying more attention to the future. Now, when he says looking forward, that's his, that's his phrase there. He says, I neglect the past, or I forget the past, but looking forward to what lies ahead. We could look forward and not do anything. Right? I could, I'm looking forward right now. Well, to you, it's backwards. To me, it's forwards. I'm looking forward. I'm not doing anything. But what Paul is getting at, again, if you look at the original language, what he means is this extension. That word looking really means moving towards. It's an extension. It's a stretching. It's reaching to what's forward. So we neglect our past by stretching, reaching, and extending to what's ahead of us. And what's ahead of us, he tells us, verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. That's eternity with him. That's hope. That's the end of the race, as he says. So we neglect our past by reaching for what's ahead of us. Doesn't mean we've obtained it yet. We're not there yet. We're not at the end yet. But that's what we pay attention to. We pay more attention to what's ahead of us than what is behind us. Now, we can only do that because of Jesus' forgiveness. Understand that. We cannot let go of our past without forgiveness. And if you have Jesus in your heart, if you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, like the song that we sang, that grace has covered us, if you live in that grace, you need to hear this this morning. You are forgiven. I mean, really, not just, yeah, 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 it's church, you're supposed to say that. I know it, I'm a Christian. No, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. There's nothing in your past that he has not forgiven if you are in him. You are forgiven. And that forgiveness is what frees us from our past. Without forgiveness, we're still tied to it because we can't get past it. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, allows us to be freed from our sin. Scripture tells us that our sin, our trespasses, are as far as the east is from the west. They are removed from us. So we are no longer held captive by our past, but we get to reach and stretch and move towards the hope that Jesus has promised us. Unless we have that forgiveness, and unless we've, unless we've accepted that, we can't move past it. And unfortunately, that's where I've had a lot of conversations with people. They're trying to move past their past. I'm like, well, have you let Jesus forgive you yet? Well, I really need to work on me first. It doesn't work that way. Allow Jesus' grace to cover you first. Go back to what Paul was saying, verse 12. He says, I've not obtained all this. Remember, he says, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He first loved me. He first came and got me. He first came and died for me. He first came and gave me grace. The rest of my life is stumbling in the right direction. And I'm not going to do that perfectly. But I am not held captive by my past anymore because of the forgiveness and the grace that I only have in Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at. Forget your past. Look forward to what lies ahead. 
Neglect your past. Pay more attention to the hope that you have in Jesus because the freedom and the grace is what literally sets us free as we would see in scripture. Hearing that phrase quite often, truly set free. Now, again, that doesn't mean our past isn't useful. Like I said, it's not a true forget your past. We should allow God to use our past. He intends to use our past. Even Paul, he didn't forget his past like we said. He goes back and he says, here's who I was. We need to allow our past, allow God to use that past to guide us, not define us. Two very, very different things. Our past is intended for God to use as a guide to teach us, to grow us, to develop us, not to define us. And so often we define ourselves by our past. And that's a good kind of test for you. How do you describe yourself? Do you describe yourself based on your past or based on who you are in Jesus, based on where he's leading you? If you start to say, well, I was or I am, that's still you holding on to your past. Allow the forgiveness to to let you neglect the past. Doesn't mean you forget it, but you move past it. You begin to pay less attention to it. But let your past guide you instead of defining you. And here's what I mean by that. Let me show you this. Did you guys all take driver's ed at some point? No? Is that not a requirement in Dawson County? Okay. (laughs) Explains a lot. (laughs) Well, I had to take driver's ed. And when I took driver's ed at 15 and a half, I did a lot of classroom settings. But then you got in a car and you had somebody that had to sit next to you. Remember that? They're the ones that had that that emergency brake. So in that, they would tell you all that you needed to know and, and learn to drive a car. The first one is when you sat, you got buckled, your hands go where? Do you remember? 10 and two. See, you did take it. Good job. So 10 and 2. You get 10 and 2, and then the instructor would say, now adjust your what? Mirrors. Adjust your mirrors. So you adjust your rear view mirrors, your side mirrors. That's important. 10 and 2 is important, but the mirrors are extremely important. Now, why is that important? It gives you context, doesn't it? If you're driving down the road, you're obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, you're driving down the road. You should be focused straight ahead. Now, we know that's not always the case. Because I see on Focus on Dawson all the time, people taking pictures of other people not taking, paying attention. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. We should be paying attention forward. What's in front of us? What's in front of, uh, or what's on the front of the road, right? But our mirrors are actually helpful. Because if I'm about to change lanes, I glance up in my rearview mirror. I give context. I make sure there's no other cars in my blind spots. I make a change. I hit something. I wonder what that was. I look in my rearview mirror. I keep going. You use your rearview mirrors to give you context, right? Now, what you should not do is just pay attention behind you. If you're driving forwards, this is a bad way to drive. And you don't look back and just glance. Sure, there we go. Sorry, Mark. You make sure that you're focused forwards. Now, actually, look this up. The correct amount of time that you should be glancing in your rearview mirrors is once every eight seconds. Once every eight seconds, you're supposed to glance not totally look, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then back, no, no, it's a glance, right? We know this, we drive. It's, it's about once every eight seconds, you're glancing in a rear view mirror. You're looking in your mirrors to give you context for your surroundings. That's what our past does for us. It gives us context. We have a change coming up in our life. Okay, God, what's been in my past? What, have you wanted, what do you wanna teach me in my past so I don't make the same mistake again? Man, it's, it's a really rough season right now. Okay, God, what, what have you done in my past that can help me get through this? God uses our past when we glance at it. We don't focus on our past, but we do glance 
in our past to help us guide it so that he can guide us and he can help us move forward. So the question, are you stuck staring at your past or are you truly just glancing? As we said, it's a new year, a lot of resolutions, a lot of things you want to do. So let me ask you those questions. Where do you want to be at the end of the year? What do you hope to accomplish? Where do you want to see yourself? What do you want changed? What do you want to be changed? What are you hoping to become? All of those questions, those self-reflective questions, those are great questions to ask. Ask them, paying attention more to what's ahead, but glancing back behind. Say, okay, here's where I was. God, what are you teaching me? What are you doing? What are you developing in me? What do you desire out of me? Those questions, we, we focus forward, but we have to glance back still. So we don't totally forget our past, but we most certainly neglect our past. We pay more attention to what's ahead than what's behind. Now, I would tell you this, and even from personal experience, getting that context of your life as a whole and your past and where you're going, that can be very difficult to do on your own. Just like driving is very difficult on your own. That's why you have an expert sitting next to you that is giving you instructions, is double-checking your blind spots. That's what counselors do. Counselors sit next to you. They ask you questions. They walk you through and help give you context for your past but also your future. I mean, I've said this a lot, that counseling is a sign of strength, not weakness. And if that's where you're at, and I don't know your stories. I don't know where you're at. But if you're having a hard time looking around you saying, man, I have no idea what's going on. I've got this past. I don't know what to make of it. That's where a counselor comes in. And they're able to help walk you through those things. Counselors, mentors, spiritual advisors, a small group. We don't want you to be in a small group just because it's something to do. We have plenty to do. We do those things because it helps having other people help us along. We stumble in the right direction, but we're not meant to do that alone. So that's why, again, we say we stumble in the right direction together. If counseling may be helpful for you, beneficial for you, mark it on your communication card. We got great counselors that we recommend, and that's between you and them to make an appointment, but don't let, don't let the past and your desire to, to remember stretch and reach for the future, don't let those be competing, because you can't hold on to both. You can't stretch and reach forward if you're still stuck and holding on to the past. If you need somebody to walk you through that, please take advantage of the resources of the right people around you at the right times to walk you through it. So here's how he finishes, the last part. Philippians chapter three, very next verse, verse 15. Here's what Paul says. So he understand these chunks that he said. He's given his past, then he's kind of proclaimed and preached to Jesus, and then he said, here's what you do with your past. You neglect it, you look forward. Here's the last part that he says, verse 15. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Are we all spiritually mature and we agree with Paul? It's a good thing to agree with Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. So we're going to agree with him, but look at what he says. This is funny. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. In other words, you're wrong and I don't care to explain it again. (laughs) That's just great. I'm going to start using that with my kids. It's like, let all of my children who are spiritually mature agree with their father. If not, prayerfully, God will make it plain to you. I don't think they'll get it, but... It'd be nice if that's how it worked. Verse 16. So he basically makes a disclaimer. I'm right, you're wrong, and if you disagree, I don't care. Verse 16, he says, but we must hold on to the progress. We hold on to that progress. So often we don't give ourselves enough credit, right? Christians are notorious for beating themselves down more than anybody else. Well, I'm just not perfect. Man, I just did that wrong and that wrong and that wrong. Paul laid it all out. He says, I've not obtained this. I've not achieved this. I'm not perfect. Look what I've done. But here's what I'm aiming for. 
And he gives himself credit for stumbling in the right direction. Give yourself credit. That doesn't mean that, that we're boastful. It means, hey, I'm aimed in the right direction. Man, I definitely don't do this the right way. I don't do it the right way all the time, but I'm aimed in the right direction. Give yourself credit. Are we willing to, to pay attention to the good things that we're doing instead of always hammering, oh, man, I need to do this better, I need to do this better. Sure, we've all got that. But he says, give yourself credit. Hold on to the progress we've already made. And then look at this statement, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. That is a, a bold and powerful statement. Dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to the early church and even to us. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. How can Paul say that? I mean, this is a guy that persecuted the church and, and did a lot wrong. And yet here he is saying, Pattern your lives after mine. Keyword there is pattern. He's not saying, do everything that I've done. No. He's not saying, follow in my footsteps. He's not saying, make every decision I've made. No, he's saying, pattern your life after mine. What's his pattern? Doing it the wrong way, recognizing it, stumbling in the right direction, and then doing all that over again. He says, follow that pattern. Paul says we all have a past, and he's got a, as we would call it, a terrible past of persecuting the church. But we all have a past. We've all got a past that we're probably holding on to in many ways. He says the pattern is exactly that one thing. Follow my pattern, he says, of letting go, of neglecting the past, and striving and reaching for what's ahead of you. That's the pattern he tells us to follow. I began as I was studying and just reading through this time and time again over the last couple of weeks, started asking, could I say that? Could I look at my kids and say, pattern your lives after mine? That doesn't mean do everything I've done. Doesn't mean make all the mistakes that I've made. It means, can you follow my patterns of when I make a mistake and when I, I do it wrong, how I redirect, how I neglect and then redirect? Do my kids see that pattern in me? Does my spouse see the pattern in me? Do my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, do they see that pattern? Not a pattern of perfection, but a pattern of repentance and a change of direction. That's the pattern Paul tells us to follow. A man with his kind of past is able to make this kind of a statement. That's powerful. We can make the same statement. To pattern our lives after that model. To neglect the past, that's the one thing. Neglect the past and look forward to what lies ahead. That's what Paul's getting at. It all comes down to that one thing, that pattern of, no, I don't have it all figured out. No, I'm not perfect. No, I've not achieved perfection, but I forget or neglect the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. And that's the pattern he says we need to follow. That's how we move through our past. That's how we start over again and again and again with our brokenness. There is a, a coach named Pat, or was her name was Pat Summit. She was the Tennessee basketball coach for the women's team. And to date, as of today, she is the winningest coach of all college basketball, NCAA D1 schools, men's and women's. She coached the women's team, and she holds the most wins out of any NCAA team. 1,098 wins for her career. And no one's really close. Coach K from Duke, he's getting there, but he's still a ways off. She still holds that record of 1,098 wins for her career. 
Coach Summit passed away the summer of 2016. And uh, when she was battling Alzheimer's, uh, she had a mantra that she came up with. And you got to know, I mean, you could imagine, I mean, she, her, her career was cut short. She had to step down because of this disease, but she didn't quit. So as she was battling Alzheimer's, she came up with this mantra, and it was simply left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Anytime that she would talk with somebody, and how, how are you doing? Left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Hey, hey, are you having a good day or a bad day? Left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. When she finally passed away because of her Alzheimer's disease, like I said, in summer of 2016, of course, journalists and, and news anchors, I mean, people were writing articles on her. The winningest coach had passed away. I mean, such a, what seemed like an unbreakable an unbreakable record. They all wanted to ask the same question. Man, what, what do you remember about Coach Summit? What do you remember about Coach Pat? And they were asking former players and her family and staff and, and other people at the school and other coaches. And they wanted to know, what, what win do you remember the most? What game was most impactful? What practice, what, what did she say that really impacted you with your career? Almost every single one of the people that were asked that question about Coach Pat, they all quoted her, left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. 1,098 wins, and they remembered her battle with Alzheimer's, a battle that she ended up losing, but a legacy that lives on. That's how you walk through brokenness. That's how you walk through troubles and problems and trials and health issues and you name it. Left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. And then you keep stepping. Left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Paul said it a little bit differently, but they're saying the same thing. Keep going forward. You don't move forward by staring back behind you. Glance. Let it teach you, let it guide you, let it grow you, let it develop you. It's part of who you are, for better or for worse. But we strive and we reach and we extend, we stretch for what's ahead of us. We move towards that, the hope that we have in Jesus. We neglect the past by looking to what's ahead. And we do that by stumbling in the right direction, by stepping one foot after the other, breathing and just doing it all over again. Left foot, right foot, breathe repeat. That's, that's a coach's legacy. It's the legacy that we see through scripture. Keep going. Brokenness is part of life, but we don't have to be held back by it. If we're looking for what's ahead, we can continue to move forward. I don't know what brokenness you're dealing with. I don't know what problems and issues you've walked in here with today. I don't know what, what problems are waiting for you tomorrow morning. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's the relationship with your kids, financial brokenness. I mean, you name it, brokenness across the board. You get through it, left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Neglect the past because of the grace that comes only from Jesus. And we look forward to what's ahead. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for, for not holding us to our past that we no longer have to be held captive and held back by our past any longer. 
but we have freedom because of the forgiveness that came through Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the hope that we can see. We're not there yet. We haven't reached it. We haven't obtained it. We're not at the end of the race yet, but we know it's there. And as long as our focus is there, we can neglect our past. So God, through your Holy Spirit, help us to accept and receive your forgiveness because you have forgiven us. What you did on the cross, it covered it all. May we live in your grace and the freedom that comes with it as we neglect our past and we move forward. Left foot, right foot, breathe and we're gonna do it again. Left foot, right foot, breathe and again, whatever the problem is, whatever the brokenness is, whatever the issue is, whatever the problems will be, we walk through it stumbling in the right direction. Left foot, right foot, and we take a breath. And we get up and we do it again and we take a step with our left foot and then our right foot, and then we take another breath. And you are with us every step of the way. Use our brokenness, use our past to direct us and to guide us, but our, our, our value and who we are is in you and who we are because of you. In Jesus' name.